Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Well, we're going to start the book of Revelation or the Revelation to John. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's pray before we get started. Lord, we are grateful for our time together that we can sit and look at these words in scripture and wrestle with them and try to grab hold of the meaning and allow you through them to father inspire and and entice our imagination and i pray that that would take place i pray that father we be open to hear what is actually written and lord we would not be blinded by maybe things that have guided us in a wrong direction in the past. Uh, May we see you clearly in this book, Father. And again, thank you for everyone who's here, Lord. May you allow this time to be rich. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's funny. Even as I mentioned the book, we're going to talk about or go through uh, the revelation to John. Everyone was like, ooh, yay, and all excited. And you wonder, well, why Why is there that reaction? What? What's going on with this book that causes that kind of response, that causes uh, probably millions of YouTube videos to be put together about, you know, end times and all these things? And really, I want to look at what is taking place in this book. What is this book? Why is it here? And where are we when we're reading it? In other words, where is John when he is writing it? There are people who believe it was the uh, Apostle John who wrote it. There are some who believe it wasn't the Apostle John because of the time it was written. He would be too old and the style that is written in. Some say that the Gospels and the Epistles are very eloquent, and this doesn't have the same uh, flow. I don't know. I'm not a scholar, so I, I can't wrestle with either of those thoughts well enough to make a decision, and really, it shouldn't matter. Really, that's not the point of who wrote it. The point is, what is it saying? And, and that's what we're going to be looking at. The word revelation or the word apocalypsis in the Greek means to reveal, it means to uncover, it means to disclose. It does not mean the end of the world, right? You see all these 
movies or, or th- thoughts about apocalypse, and we have in our mind the end. But that's not what's happening. There's actually been a lot of apocalypses in Scripture. Uh, Christ being born was a revelation. It was an unveiling. Uh, the resurrection was an unveiling. Uh, Pentecost, the spirit in dwelling the church is a unveiling. These are all Pentecost or all apocalypses that are taking place. And so this doesn't have with it that stigma of it means the end of the world. If you were to see a movie is coming out called Apocalypse, you would think it's the end of the world. But it's not the meaning. And so how tragic that our minds go immediately to a place that was not the intention of the word. Right? And, and so this is one of the stereotypes we have to kind of re, you know, evaluate. We, we have to think differently about what this book is instead of going to what we've always heard it to be. Otherwise, we're going to miss the point of what's actually taking place. The writer here, John, is doing more than giving information. He's trying to paint a picture. He's trying to help those who will read it to be able to visualize what he's talking about. Imagination is a big part of what he's using to help us understand spiritual things. Just as Jesus did with the parables, him telling stories, trying to give everyday circumstances uh, help to understand spiritual things, so is the writer John. He's talking about angels and beasts and punishment and salvation, and the intent is not letting us drift into a routine or to a mundane idea about what's going on. A life of faith is a lot like this, right? A life of faith is living between the information that we can process and the call to things that are bigger than us. You know, Sunday I talked about belief and faith, and I know there's times where they're interchangeable. But I was specifically using the idea of belief being this organization of thoughts, and I gave some examples of that. And, And we have to live there because that's the world we live in. But then there's something more that's calling us to something more, that's calling us to something bigger, and we live in between that with the trying to understand something that is bigger than our ability to process, the idea of eternity or infinity, right? How do you think of, you know, eternity, never ending or infinity, something that is, you know, without measure and without end? We get an idea of it, but we can't grasp it. You know, to think if you had a million Legos and I took half of them away, you would, or if you had infinity Legos and I took half of them away, you would still have infinity Legos, right? And it's like, what? No, you'd be half, half of infinity is still infinity, right? So our minds have a grasp of it, but we can't hold on to it. We can't really reason it all out because that's not who we are. We are finite beings. We don't have the ability to think without limit or to even engage maybe spiritual things being where we are, we don't have the ability to fully understand, but we can get ideas that can spark our imagination and get a hold of these things. Revelation is going to take us back and forth between the routine of life on earth and the charisma of the heavens. 
this idea of earth and heaven is going to be a big part, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a bit. Eugene Peterson says of the book of Revelation, I do not read the Revelation to get additional information about the life of faith in Christ. I have read it all before in law and prophet, in gospel and epistle. Everything in Revelation can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. The Revelation adds nothing to substance of what we already know. The truth of the gospel is already complete, revealed in Jesus Christ. There is nothing new to say on the subject, but there is a new way to say it. I read Revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination. To think about things in a fresh and alive way. To, to try and jumpstart maybe some of the things that have become a little bit too comfortable. And we have to do that regularly, right? The idea that God loves you. I can say that and not be floored, but every time I say that, I should be floored. Right, The idea of God and the magnitude of, of all that that word means, having concern for me, is overwhelming, or it should be. And when I just say, oh, well, God loves me and don't get floored by it, maybe I need stronger words. Maybe I need more visualization. Maybe I need something to help me grasp that. And that's what stories do, right? They help us to understand those things. Last week when Ben was sharing about prayer and you shared about how God speaks to us through other people and you shared that story about your brother calling you and said, hey, I miss my brother. Have you seen him? I was like, oh, you know, like that made me understand that concept that you were saying. That story gave life to those words in a way that the words themselves didn't, right? And that's what the book of Revelation is there to do. Um, The book was written from the perspective of a pastor writing to churches. And we have to keep this in mind. So instead of trying to decipher some hidden code about the end and what it's all going to look like and we have to keep it in this perspective so that we can wonder at what he's saying in the right context. How do the metaphors bring meaning and insight to a praying imagination, right? There is still a whole lot of mystery that we're going to have to crawl through and, and just wrestle with. But if we lose the focus of this being written for the churches at that time, We will transport the writing to fit our own preconceived ideas of the future end of the world, doomsday scenarios, mark of the beast, look out, here's the Antichrist, there's the Antichrist, all these things, and we forget that a pastor is writing to churches that contain people he loves and cares about. That's the purpose. That's what's going on here, and we're going to have to keep coming back to that so that we don't get lost. So that these metaphors actually have a foundation that they're building on and not just something that we've heard and want to move along to. Because then we start getting paranoid, right? How many of you remember that Ronald Reagan was supposed to be the Antichrist? Do you guys remember that? 
because all his names has had six letters in it. I don't know what his middle name is, but it had six letters in it. And it was like, yeah, Ronald Reagan is the Antichrist. It's going to be the end of the world. But then it was, you know, Clinton too, or now it's Trump, I'm sure. Um, We're always just grasping at spectacular. And we're always getting paranoid, and we love that. And just as I said, we're going to talk about the book, (coughs) excuse me, of Revelation, the word, everyone's, ooh, yes, right? Because we want the spectacular. Spectacular is here, probably more than we could imagine. In fact, that's why John is writing it. So let's read verses 1 through 4. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Have you ever been to a play or a movie where the lights go out and everything's dark and then you hear things before you see things, right? You're in a movie and maybe it's an action-adventure movie and you hear that there's some kind of clamor going on and maybe there's you know, a fight or a scuffle or something's going on and you're trying to put together what's going on, what's happening here. Before the lights come up, you're trying to process what actually is going on. You're in the dark. You're trying to figure out what's happening. You can't see it. But something is going on. The scene is starting out, and we're trying to figure out where we are. Notice that it is from, or it is of Jesus, and that it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. First, this is a way of writing that was very well known in the Jewish world at the time. It was designed to correspond to and make available, basically, the visions and revelations of holy, prayerful people who were wrestling with questions of the divine purpose. As they studied and prayed, they believed that they could hear the noise, that the the music was building, even though they couldn't fully see what was taking place. They didn't quite know what was happening, but then suddenly there would be an enlightenment, right? There would be an aha moment. The lights would come on, and we'd see exactly what is taking place, and now we're invited to be a part of what is happening. Just as these holy, prayerful men spent time in prayer and meditation, studying and came to a knowledge, and then we're revealing that knowledge. Revelation, the idea of this book, are based on that kind of ancient belief, Right? that God's sphere of being and operation, which is heaven, and our sphere of operation, which is earth, are not separated by a big gulf. That they are actually meeting and merging and meld into one another in all kinds of ways. And, And for the ancient Jews, the place where this happened supremely was the temple. And that's going to be an important part as we go through the book. The idea of temple is where God would come down and interact with his people. Most of us are are blind to things besides what we see, right? And then we have these glimpses. We have these epiphanies. We have these awakening moments to the spiritual world that is outside. But 
sometimes we're not quite sure all that that means. The Jewish people of this time are struggling to see both sides of this story. Where is heaven and where is earth? It used to be the temple, but then the early Christians believed it's Jesus. Jesus is where heaven and earth meet. It's where that takes place. And when Jesus had become a person, that is where heaven and earth met. Looking at him and contemplating his death and resurrection in particular, they believed they could see right into God's own heart. That was how they were able to actually see God's world. They could then understand things about his purpose, which no one could imagine before until Jesus revealed those things. But as time passed on, They were being eclipsed, as it were, by really the fastest-growing religion at that time, which was the worship of Caesar, and how that was being dominating through the Roman Empire. Should they continue believing that this Christ is the ultimate, where God has met us? Then what do we do? With what's happening. You see, something amazing happened with Christ and his life and his death and resurrection. And the church exploded and grew. But then some terrible things started happening. There became incredible persecution. Christians were dying in horrific ways and in astronomical numbers. They were being crucified. They were being fed to lions. They were being burned. And now this faith that was going to be the answer to it all is being drowned. And here are these temples that are elaborate and all over the place for Caesar and his family. And you see, the book of Revelation is the clearest vision of God's ultimate purpose for all of creation. It is helping to reveal God's plan and helping us to see it. And of the way that powerful forces of evil are at work, including the idolatrous and the tyrannical political systems that there were taking place at that time, which definitely could be interpreted throughout all time, right? But even these systems are going to be overthrown. And so as it's starting out, it's revealing, okay, that God has given this. An angel has, a messenger from God has given me and I'm giving this to you. How can we be faithful witnesses to God and of God's love in a world of violence, hatred, and suspicion? How are we going to do this? And so he tells us that blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Reads aloud. Why do you have to read it out loud? And again, I think this is where we are getting a tip of the hat to what's going to happen throughout the book. The word of God was spoken before it was written, right? Jesus was seen, touched, and heard before he was ever written about. And when words are written, they are in danger of losing their connection 
to us or their power, right? When you talk to someone, you can look them in the eye. You can get the facial expressions. You can get the difference in inflections of their voice. They can be more dramatic. They can be more excited. They, you can get a sense of what is going on, even the, the body movements. But something is being interchanged between two people. But when it's written... You have lost a lot of that. It's like reading an email or a text and you get a feeling from it, right? That might not at all be the tension that was there. And that's why you always throw these emojis in there, right? Happy face. I'm not mad at you. Just want you to know, right? Hearts. You know, I love you. You know, why? Because I don't want it to be construed the wrong way because it very easily can because something is now missing once it's written. And so we're being told to read this out loud because the intent of Revelation is not to inform us about God, but it is to involve us in God. And I think that's the intention of Scripture. It's not to inform us about God, it's to involve us with God. And that's why I love to wrestle with Scripture. I think I'm supposed to. I think I'm supposed to dialogue and not just say, well, this says that, so that means this, and that's it. Remember, Jesus' harshest criticism was to the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Those who knew the scripture well, but they didn't hear the voice of God. They knew information, but they missed the point. Those words were studied, but they weren't heard. And so I think we are supposed to dialogue with God through Scripture. I think we're supposed to be involved with it. I think when Jesus gives a parable, we're supposed to think, what? What does that mean? Why does that seem weird? It's supposed to disrupt our thinking. Remember when we went through the parables, that was the point of them. And so he's telling us to read out loud because he's trying to get us back to an actual connection. He's trying to get us back to the understanding as if God is now speaking. Can you hear his voice? Don't tune it out. He's declaring that the written word has not done its work until we hear the words in that personal act of listening, the act of the mind, the act of emotion ignited by our imaginations. The words on paper are to come to life so that reading them is not enough. We have to hear them as they're being spoken to us. Again, he's trying to jumpstart us. He's trying to give us CPR so that you don't lose it. And remember, we're talking about some people who are going through incredible struggle. And he wants them to hear out loud what is happening so that the weight of their struggle doesn't drown out what is written. That the hearing penetrates these things, that it comes through. So we are to hear these words. In fact, underneath the message to be heard is the experience of hearing. It says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear what? Never mind what, let him hear. Let the senses be awakened. Let there be connection between heaven and your ears, earth. Let there be a joining of what God is doing that takes place in us, in you, and in me. 
God's voice and human ears become connected as heaven meets earth. Verse 4 says, John to the seven churches. And here we see that that pastoral presence here, speaking to these churches that he'll expound on later. To the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Again, an incredible declaration of who Jesus is. An incredible pronouncement that he is the first, the last, the Alpha, the Omega. He is who was and is to come. Everyone will recognize that, even those who pierced him, dealing directly with the Roman authority and the powers that took him to the crucifixion. And all these things, even they, every knee, every eye will see, excuse me, even those who pierced him, all tribes on earth will wail on account of him. The wailing that was taking place was from them. And he's saying these roles are going to be reversed. The readers of this book are most likely very poor. Again, they met in each other's homes. And while they met in each other's homes hiding, in contrast, Caesar's building temples that are grand, that everyone is going to see them. And this contrast is causing friction. Are we wasting our time following a crucified Jew rather than the one who's obviously lord and ruler of their world, that earthly view? And this is written to say, no. No, you're not wasting your time. And no, that is not the real Lord. Oh, they have incredible temples. And yes, you're going through incredible persecution. But you're not wasting the time. The question to that question is, the answer is no. So we are to hear Jesus' voice. There's going to be four stages in the book of Revelation. It's about something God has revealed to Jesus himself. It says that in, in verse 1. And which Jesus is passing on via the angel to his servants. It says plural, although we only know of the one here written, John. So we have God, Jesus, the angel, John, and now it's extending to the churches. Second phase of the book takes the form of an extended letter. There are particular letters that are in chapter 2 and 3 to the seven churches, which are in western Turkey. But the book as a whole is a letter from John to all the churches, telling them what he has seen. 
helping them to see what he has seen, that their lives are not a waste. Third, the book is a prophecy. And remember, prophecy doesn't mean a foretelling of the future as much as it means a proclaiming of what God is saying. And we see that in verse 3. Like many prophets in ancient Israel, John draws freely on that biblical tradition, the early biblical tradition. There were in themselves revelations of God and his purposes again and again. They come up fresh in new forms, and they're coming up again fresh in this book. And fourth, the book functions as witness or as a testimony. And we'll see those words interchanged, witness and testimony. And it's hard because to us they mean different things, but it's really one word that means both of those things. That's testifying of something and also bearing witness of something, but they do it in different ways. And so we see that in verse 2. We should, though, remember two things, that whenever we see either word, that it includes this whole realm of thought, that it is a witness that people see and it is a testimony that people proclaim. It's containing both things. They are regularly carrying a sense that God is ultimately conducting a great heavenly law court. God is a judge, and he's taking care of this court. In that law court, the witness borne by Jesus and the followers is key to the ultimate judgment and verdict that God is going to prescribe. And so this is kind of setting the stage of what God is doing. He is in this judgment position. We see Christ and his followers are a part of this and how the verdict is going to be pronounced. They regularly carry the sense which the Greek original word martyr has given us to the given us that language, right? They are martyrs. They are witnesses. And yet for us that idea of martyr is someone who gives their life. Those who bear this testimony will be called to suffer or even to die for what they have said. Right? This is what's happening to the church at that time. And the most important thing to keep in mind is that everything that is to come flows from the central figure, and that's Jesus, and ultimately from God the Father. He who was and who is and who is to come. Nobody in the first century knew when or how Jesus would return. We still are in wonder of what that's going to be. But to live for Christ and to have faith in this one God only makes sense that he will at some point set everything right. That he is bringing to fruition the right judgment. And so, as we're starting this book, there is the recognition this is God giving us a message to Jesus, to the messenger, to John, to the church. This is God bringing a proclamation that he is, he was, and he is still to come. That he is the first and he is the last. And all the things that were done to him, the piercing, the persecution, he is going to bring to write. And we are to read this out loud because we have to remind ourselves of these 
things. Have you ever been driving or, or in at home somewhere and you're going through something very difficult or something has happened and you have to speak to yourself because otherwise you will get lost in maybe the despair of that moment? And maybe you'll say something like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Or God's still here. God's still here. God hasn't forgotten us. God hasn't forgotten them. Right? We, why are we saying that? Who are we saying that to? No one's there. We're saying it to us. Right? I love the scripture where David said, why are thou quiet, disquieted in me, O my soul? Hope thou in God, right? Why are you troubled? Hope in God. Why does he have to say that out loud? Because he needs to. Sometimes the verbalization helps bring the realization. It's just an awakening that needs to take place. And so these words are an awakening that needs to take place to a church that is suffering incredibly, to people who are wondering and maybe losing their way and giving in to things because it's just too hard. And John is telling them, and he's saying, speak to yourself. These words, speak them out loud. Hear what God is saying to you. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. The Alpha and the Omega. The one who was there from the beginning and the one who will see this through to the end. The one who dwells in heaven is speaking to us here on earth and he wants to communicate. Will we listen? Will we hear? Will we take these words to heart so that they shape us and they awaken our thinking rather than the things that we are now seeing. And he's going to go on to elaborate those things in some very vivid ways to, again, awake our minds to what God has done, is doing, and is going to do so that hope, so that faith will be ignited once again in his people. Let's pray. Lord, I do hope as we continue to go through this book that this will take place within us, that our imaginations will be ignited, that our faith will be encouraged, that we would have ears to hear that we would speak and recognize that heaven is talking to us. And Lord, might that change us in the direction that we live in. Father, may it move us to a place of action and reaction. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Any questions on what I've said before? I know I didn't cover a whole lot of the book because there's a whole lot to cover, but I thought I'd start here. I just saw my notes. I forgot a whole portion, but, you know, um, I, I mentioned this. I mean, Archibald MacLeish said, anything can make us look, only art makes us see. Revelation makes us see, right? And that speaking of it is kind of the art of it. And Einstein said, Imagination is more important than knowledge, for knowledge is limited, whereas imagination embraces the entire world, stimulating progress, giving birth to evolution. So we are to spark our imagination. And have you ever wondered why some people know things? They know it's right or wrong, or they know the Bible, but they aren't changed, right? They, they still are given to their weaknesses, their gossips, their, you know, uh, addictions, their, their way of thinking, belittling, those kinds of things. It, it, all these things, it's like, how can you read, esteem others better than yourself and talk down to people, right? How can you continue doing that? Don't you understand? And there is something that has to spark to make the, those words alive. There's like an, an imagination that says, oh, this is what that's supposed to look like. And now I can start imitating the concept of it instead of reading the information about it, right? Because we all know people, I mean, pastors and scholars, people who know the Bible, who've done horrendous things. And then when they're caught, right, it's like, oh, I was wrong. I know it was wrong. You knew it was wrong before. Why did you do it? And there wasn't an igniting of their minds and a connection to those things. You know, I mean, I, I don't know how to put a finger on it. Except that, it's, it didn't come alive. It didn't mean something. And then there's those aha moments when all of a sudden you, you see something. You go, ah, oh, I get it. And a lot of those times are when it's us, right? Oh, that's me. I'm the person who's acting that way. And now I see it. Well, how do you see it? I see it in my mind. I see it. It's almost like an awakening. It's like an imagination alive. Uh, you know, I mean, our words limit us. It's not imaginary. But the idea of imagination, I mean, Einstein said most of his discoveries weren't through logic. They were actually through imagination. Crazy. How does that work? Well, that imaginary becomes a reality, right? And so this book has some things that are pretty fantastic that I think are meant to ignite that imagination when it talks about a dragon, right? And it talks about a woman and fleeing and all these things happen. It's meant to spark imagination of events that are taking place. And so we'll get into that more. Any other thoughts? The Bible, Bible Project. Yeah, it's a video. You can see it on YouTube. It's called The Bible Project. And they have a lot of like 10-minute videos on books of the Bible or on topics in the Bible. And I really like them. Yeah, they're very progressive, right? Yeah, I did one on Esther. Yeah. It was like seven minutes. Like, yeah, that's the book. Yeah, it was like... <laughs> They are good, and I feel like they capture Revelation 
the book very well, you know, because we have to remember what's happening at this time. You know, Rome is not insignificant in this book, even though it's not mentioned. It is actually very much the focus, you know. And so when we start seeing correlation with Caesar and Antichrist, some things can really come to light there in that. Any other thoughts on what I shared or questions about what I shared? Yeah, well, I mean, that's like what Eugene Peterson says. It's nothing new. It's just a new way of saying what's been there, you know, a way that is like a splash of water in your face. You know, it's reviving you to see it differently. Um, And that was, I believe, the intention. And it is a style of writing. You know, a lot of the prophets wrote like that, right? You'd see this, and then there was this, and the prophet took the belt and he girded himself like that. It's this kind of abstract way of bringing a point across. It was a traditional way of writing. Well, then that's it. You know, we go to, oh, well, it's going to be done by fire this time, right? And again, we're going to an apocalypsist idea, but is that really what's being said here? Well, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt the world is in turmoil, but it's pot parties. We used to have those. (laughs) (laughs) That was in the 70s, but yeah. Yeah, maybe hemp hemp parties. Um, (coughs) Probably um, he's coming. That'd probably be the, the summary of it, I think. A summary of the first chapter kind of thing. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.